beginning to show more in clarity what the vision and mission is there, and it is mind-blowing, and we're just, we're just so thrilled with what God is doing. So I want to open in prayer, and I'm, I'm always just so humbled with uh, having any opportunity to share what's on the Father's heart um, that he's given to me, and, and so I just want to place it before him. So just pray with me, please. Father God, we just thank you for this sweet time in worship, God. There is a king, and it is you, Lord Jesus. We just worship you. We praise you, God. I just love you and thank you. And I know it's the hearts of everyone here, God, to just pour out our praise and our love for you, God. What else is more important? God, I just, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word that you are the, your word itself. And God, I just ask that you would just give of the listeners, God, from from now until the end. Peace the word, God, that it would be a seed planted and not return void in the hearts of the listeners, God, from from now until the end, any time that this word is listened to, God, I just pray that you would use it according to your plan. Thank you, God, for who you are. And we just commit this time, and I, I, just, I just ask you, Lord, to not let my own words come forth, but that it be only your words, God. I thank you. I love you. I praise and lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to, to have you turn with me to a verse that's kind of been mulling over in my mind for quite some time now, and uh, it's not an unfamiliar verse if you know um, the letters that Paul has written, but I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, and there is, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to initially say it in the King James, but I want to go to the expounded version in the Amplified this morning, and um, that again, like last week, will be kind of where I park a little bit in terms of translation this today. But in the King James, it says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Um, I remember teaching that to Brooke when she was, man, two. And uh, she, she could talk so early. And so I thought, if I'm going to hear this precious, cute little yapper, I want to hear the word of God coming out. So I am going to just uh, feed and feed and feed. And as you know, uh, you know the phrase, we are what we eat. Uh, What we take in becomes part of us. And so I wanted her to digest as much of the word as possible, even before she understood it. And um, that has proven to be so fruitful, and I'm so thankful. But uh, when we said it in the King James, when she was little, it was, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. And we had different motions and, you know, voice inflection helps a child remember. And uh, don't think it's just for children because there are different methods of learning and all normal minds have equal retentive abilities. Okay, they only differ in the method of learning or in the, um, the creativity in which 
that it, it comes forth. It's the repetition and the creativity in which it gets absorbed. That's why some people can learn things faster to music. Um, find a way to take the word of God and digest it. But we're going to be in the Amplified today because it, it expounds a little bit more. And in verse 9, it says, And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. So this verse kind of contains three different concepts, three different uh, like almost like a three-point outline. And they are, let us not be weary. Let's don't be weary. And in a period of time, which I have titled the message, in due time. Now, different translations say different things. Obviously, King James says, in due season. Um, the different other translations, New Living says, at just the right time. Um, there's uh, just at the right time message. And then Passion Translation is interesting. It says, for the season of reaping, the wonderful harvest you planted is coming. So there is a time. So let's not be weary. There is a time. And we will reap. We will reap. Everyone will reap. Because everyone has sown something. And so I wanted to look at the first point, which uh, I, I have been noticing humanly i have been sensing in the spirit there is a strategy to come against spirit-filled believers who are seeking god with all of their heart there is a strategy of the enemy to just plumb wear them out with weariness of a combination of things whether it be trials um, of finances, relationships, physical issues, circumstantial issues, um, every imaginable type of area of their life. It's like the, the circling of the wagons to try to find something to just come against, come against, come against. It's the fiery darts strategy. And there are times when you just feel it and you just feel like, oh, man, I mean, this I could get a handle on, this I could give, and this I've had faith for. But when it all is happening at the same time, it's like, Lord, it's just an overwhelming oppression of weariness. And the Lord is saying to us today, let us not be weary. Let's not be weary. But then he unpacks why. Um, what is well-doing? It says, let us not be weary in well-doing or, or in the Amplified, it's in acting nobly and doing what's right. The Lord, I, I, I always bring these thoughts to the Lord directly because go to the Holy Spirit before ever going to commentaries or, or other devotionals or other helps because that is the, the promise of the Holy Spirit when, it, when he was released when Jesus left this earth was to be our guide, right? You never want to read the word of God without the Holy Spirit. What's the point? My intellect certainly cannot absorb uh, the, the depth and wonder of this amazing, amazing mystery and word of God. And so I'm always reading things and saying, Lord, what does this mean? But Lord, what does this mean? But Lord, what are you saying here? And, and sometimes you, you have to, he takes me to other portions of scripture. 
And so I said, what does that mean, well-doing? Because, again, I was thinking of it more in the King James because that's the one I had memorized and taught my girls. And he said, well, remember what I told the people when they followed me after they were fed, the 5,000 that were fed. And they said, but, Lord, what, but, but teacher, what, what is it that we should do? We want to do good works. What is it that we should do? And Jesus turned and looked at him and said, the only work for you to do is to believe. So the essence of well-doing is don't lose heart in your stance of faith, which is the, the core from which every other thing he asks you to do comes from. Yes, don't be weary in love. Don't be weary in your stance of joy, of all the fruits of the Spirit that I give you. Don't let weariness stand against it. Cast down imaginations and proud arguments that kind of come at you with weariness. It's almost like, aren't you tired? You know, don't you need to rest? This shouldn't be happening to you. This is too much. You can't handle this. All these, these imaginations, these, these demon voices that come and oppress, and they oppress with sometimes a palpable feeling because many of us, God is opening up to the spirit realm more and more. We may see it just as a, an intensity to, of something we're going through inside, but, but be thankful. The Lord is opening you up to the reality of what you're fighting against, which is not flesh and blood, but it is principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places that come against and circle and prowl, seeking whom they may devour, as First Peter says. So don't be weary in the well-doing. Now, I don't think any of us would choose it, but the Lord gives us a, a pathway and gives us hope that are found in other places of Scripture. Obviously one that's on most people's bumper stickers and mugs and, you know, pins and, and Bible covers and phone cases and everything, which is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, we, we have to take sometimes these concepts and then apply them experientially. Okay, I can press through and just fundamentally reject weariness because of Christ Jesus in me. The, any any agreement with weariness, forgive me, Lord. I I cast it down. That is a that is a proud argument that comes against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? That we are more than conquerors. That we are victors. So He's saying, don't be weary. And there is um, there's also. A, a place of faith that is a, it's an interesting strategy that I have noticed in so many people. And that is not to necessarily come against their Christianity, if you will, but to come against the promise and reality of their destiny. If there's one thing the enemy does not want is for you to walk into the fullness of what God has called you to do. See, when the word of God is released over us, and it is happening now. He is releasing his word over you. So whether it is the Logos word, okay, being released by the power of the Holy Spirit and spoken out and customized for you, the hearer, or if it's an individual prophetic word that's given to you, that is an opportunity. It's released over you from the end that God is outside of time. We are so constrained by this thing called time. And God is outside of it. And he sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And so what he does is at points in our life, he releases truth, a prophetic word into our lives to, to introduce us to the potential 
and to the destiny that he's called us into so that we can then awaken and partner with him in. We can then receive that word. Every word is a seed. And every seed is filled with life itself when it is God, when it is Holy Spirit. And it goes down and there is no word, there's no seed that he plants that he doesn't intend to have it produce. That is the very essence of the life-giving seed. It only stops when it gets aborted or killed. And that's what the enemy desires. That is his entire, um, the essence of who the enemy is. John 10.10, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, destroy. That is what he does. So he wants to take the seed and destroy it. Now, we know from, um, from the, the parable that Jesus gave, in, and it's in a couple of different scriptures, but it's found in Luke 8. And we won't go there. I'll just give you the, the basics. But this is where he gives the parable of the sower. The ones along the path that fell on the rock, that fell on the thorns, that fell on good soil. The thorny, the thorny path, the thorny soil were those that heard, but they go on. And then the cares of life, the pleasures of life, this this strategy to introduce this hedonistic way. Hedonistic is a comfort-seeking, pleasure-seeking. It's like, I want God. I want him. But I also want this because, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody does this. Everybody's supposed to, you know, have this path. And, and we're all supposed to pursue a good career and, and have this at this age and this at this age. And if we're not, accompl- you know, if we don't accomplish it by, you know, mid-40s, then, you know, we're just in that midlife crisis slump. And so, you know, those are all lies of the enemy in terms of things that are supposed to be accomplished. Do we get so bound by time so we get bound by age so we think that at a certain age, if culture says it's over, if culture says you're too young or you too, you're too old, we tend to have these agreements with it instead of looking at kingdom reality in that that matters not at all to God. He can call the youngest of the young and utilize, I mean, an amazing, amazing youth. And he can call somebody like Moses and begin his whole life at 80. I love that story, by the way. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's hope. And then you can produce a child in Sarah in her 90s. You know, wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. I know that most people, they find it amazing, but they don't desire it. But you know what? If God produced the youth in you for that to happen, then praise God, you know. But these cares are what will choke the seed. So other than these things that we give agreement to, the ones that fell along The rock are those who receive and believe for a while, but they're not so much distracted by cares. They just, when tested, can't deal with the struggles and the pain. It just becomes just plain old too hard. It's just tough. But, Lord, it's just tough. You know, I I took this beating and I took that beating, and, and then the enemy's there to tell you, you shouldn't have to go through that. You shouldn't have to deal with that. Well, no, but a loving God wouldn't do that. He's there, and he even takes Scripture and twists it so that you're believing lies about the character of God, that we're not, that we don't have to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, that doesn't mean that. Mm. And that's what kills and aborts the seed. And it, it, uh, the thorns and the rocks in our soil hinder. But I'm telling you, the plan is that when God releases the seed, it is, it is life-giving. And if there's one thing the enemy wants, I will tell you this, more than anything else. Yes, he wants your life. Yes, he wants your marriage. Yes, he wants your kids. He wants your money. He wants your bodies in every kind of twisted sin. He wants all that. But you know what his number one thing is that he wants? 
is your faith. He is after your faith because it is faith that pleases God. And without faith, it is not only impossible to please him, but it is impossible to stand. We must have faith. That is why we were all given upon salvation a measure of faith to build upon with our yes that grows exponentially when we every day give him our yes. So the thing that the Lord just encouraged me in in this verse were these three points that I found to be so interesting. There is a strategy of weariness, but we have to reject it for the spirit and the spiritual strategy that it is. And fundamentally know that just because our bodies are experiencing something that might be fatigue or tiredness does not mean that it has to be our actual reality. What we experience may be a fact, but it is not the truth. And it is the truth that is life and sets us free, right? We have to be, we have to exist in faith from a place of victory, not striving for victory based on our circumstantial ups and downs. That's where we run into trouble. And so we have to really reject it and cast it down when this weariness comes. And that's where I love 1 Corinthians 4 toward the end of it um, when it talks about, you know, that, that though our bodies are dying every day. Our spirits are renewed day by day because we look at the things which are not seen because when we only look at the things that are seen, those are temporal, but the things that are not seen in terms of our human eyes, the things that are not seen but are seen by our spirit eyes, those things that we don't see are eternal. They are a forever, and they work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, it says before those verses. That, I love that. I love that because there are times when my body, as I know you in this room have experienced, many of you, it doesn't cooperate with the energy that is within us. And so we, we just stand in firm faith and God brings the breakthrough for the rest. And I'm telling you, when you, when you fight the right battle in the spirit first, he will guide you even into the human realm answers to your bodily needs. Please, please hear me on this. Doctors only practice medicine. The, the system itself, we know, I think is plainer to see today than ever before, the system itself is corrupted. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't the medical community, the, the system of supposed aid for our bodies, why wouldn't, under the prince of the power of the air, he try to corrupt it? Hello, he's going to try to corrupt anything that would help and aid us, right? Why wouldn't our food sources be corrupted? You know, more people live on dollar store food than ever before. Processed, preservative, and, and it's, it, when you want to eat healthy, it is not only a hassle sometimes, but it is four times expensive, more expensive. I mean, it's like the challenge to have what God intended is he, he set it up to where it's just so much easier to just let me just grab it. You know, I'm just hungry. I can't do it. And we defer constantly, and he wins every time. So I'm not saying it's easy, but he's saying let's not be weary in well-doing. Why? Because there is a time coming, and this is really the crux of what I want to talk about. In due time, you will see all throughout Scripture where you will see that at the appointed time and when the time of the word was fulfilled 
such and such happened. There is a time of fulfillment of every prophetic word. Whether it is known to us or not, there is a time that God knows. In due time, due means the appointed, destined, sovereignty of God moment when the fulfillment of what he has planted will come come through. This is something we absolutely have to believe. And where he encourages us along the way is through the word, through the prophetic word, through what is spoken over you, through when you go to him. Sometimes I'll say, Lord, just speak over me. Speak over me who I am. Let me speak over me your plan for me so that in my day-to-day I am stepping in a cooperation agreement with who I have been created to be. I want to cooperate with that. Because if you fight against your actual creator, then you're just inviting problems. And yet most people live according to the way they want God to allow them to be. But they basically are living, they are, they are serving a God made in their own image, rather than being the created being made in God's image. And we've got to get those priorities right, but the enemy loves to flip things on its head, and it's happened since the fall of man. But there is a time. There is a time coming. And the Lord brought me to the story of Joseph in Genesis. And this is, this is such an amazing story because, remember, he's a 17-year-old favored kid of his father Jacob. And he has these dreams. And, you know, his brothers already, whether they were conscious of it or not, they already sensed in the spirit some, some anointing, at the very least a favoritism upon him. And so there was already a, a resentment and a hatred for him. And so there's a lot of conjecture and, and scholars that have, you know, given the, the mindset of Joseph at the time that he just, you know, was a, a snotty-nosed kid that decided to just throw it in his brother's faces with a dream. I don't necessarily see it that way. Um, I think there was a lot of naivety, um, and he hadn't yet been refined by the Lord. But I think he, he was sincerely, these dreams were clearly very, very impactful in his life. And he wanted to share them with his family, wanted to share them with his father. And boy, did that settle in the hatred and the resentment. But the Lord, at a season before the testing, gave him a little snapshot of what he desired for Joseph to be. And then after that word was released, he began to walk through a process to carry him there. God, in his mercy, will release a word to you before he takes you through the process of agreeing with him so that so that you have something to to cling to to encourage you because when a word is released you become accountable to that whether you think you will be or not let me tell you what you are hearing today whatever compelled you to listen to this word whether podcast facebook in person um, any other on our website whatever made you set aside time and listen to this word you are accountable for that doesn't have to be a bad thing you we want to hear when when people are asked do you want a prophetic word oh the lord has something to speak over your life most people are very excited there are some that run from it because they know that accountability and they're resisting it. oh no 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 there's the there's the prophets let me run i don't want to know i don't want to know i don't want to deal with it but most of us are very like yes lord tell me tell me what it is but every word that the Lord releases contains a transformative element 
that will shake things up in our lives. It has to shake up where we are to become the next thing that he's, he's telling, speaking over us. And so he released these dreams to Joseph that I really believe in the darkest moments of his rejection from his brothers, of being sold into slavery, and that's a brutal process, a brutal world. You look at history, and, and Psalm 105 depicts it. Um, in fact, I'm going to go there. Um, let's turn there. Psalm 105, um, this is what gives us insight. We know the story is in Genesis, but Psalm 105, um, it, in verse um, 17 um, it, it speaks of him really throughout the whole psalm. But in verse 17, and again, I'm in Amplified, but it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold for a servant. His feet they hurt with fetters. They beat his feet. He was tortured in prison. He was laid in chains of iron, and his soul entered into the iron. Until his word, the word released by the Holy Spirit in that dream, until his word to his cruel brothers came true, the word of the Lord tried and tested him. The word that the Lord given, gave him that he told his brothers, until that word came true, he was tested and tried. And he is no different than any one of us. We have to be tested and tried. We have an opportunity with seed planted to begin to sow into, to cultivate, to care for what we've heard and take care of that word so that it will produce the harvest. Joseph had the ability and clung to that word. And it was an amazing thing in his time of waiting, his waiting that was not dormant. It was quite tumultuous, but he was able because he waited in strength, he waited in agreement with God the entire time. Some of the most amazing, amazing verses of what waiting on the Lord in agreement with what he's released over your life to become. What that produces in maturity is in the essence of these verses. And I'm just going to read them in Genesis 54, 4 through 8. And I actually don't know the translation because I'm reading this from a different section. So I'll... We'll just, um, whatever translation is up there. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph. This was at the end when he revealed himself. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me. God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Think about the intense trauma of 
the kind of rejection that Joseph experienced just simply in all of his own brothers ganging up on him, throwing him in a pit, and selling him into slavery, even if that portion hadn't lasted that long. That experience alone, that moment of being completely turned on by your family, your brothers, and then sold into slavery. In Joseph's life, there was trauma after trauma. Now, God, in each point, raised him up, saw he had favor on him. And the story is really, really interesting. It's, it's like you have to have a kingdom concept on the whole story because to think of having favor but yet still being stuck in prison, you know, it's like how, how much favor do you see that as? See, you're going to miss the favor of God in your life in a particular season if all you're willing to accept is the complete comfort zone that you desire. You're going to miss that God is using you right where you are in certain seasons while yet still testing you. See, God takes us through a process. And in each time of process, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have favor on our lives. He uses, he honors our character and our yes everywhere we go. We might not be to the end of the ultimate destiny where we are, but in each moment we'll have favor. And he, he was tested in so many ways. And I... I'm just amazed that those moments when he was knocked down and it was a bumpy ride where he he had a chance. I mean, you talk about tested. It was like, okay, to get over the initial trauma and then to come into the prison and be given charge of the prison. Okay, that was favor in prison. Even there, if he'd gone up from there, there still could have been a lot of resentment. Like, I mean, you know, think about it. It's like the hurts in our lives. Do you allow the enemy to try to get you to replay hurt in your life? For a long time, he did that with me. And I remember wrestling with the Lord like, Lord, I know I have forgiven. I know I have forgiven. I had to forgive myself in my portion of of the conflict or the mess that was made that came against me. And I had to forgive those involved. So, Lord, you know I've done that, and yet I could not release it. It was like I tried to, I, I thought, I know I'm getting forgiveness. It's one and done. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive. But there was still a wounding because there was a lack of surrender to be able to see that God was in charge of every portion of my life to totally transform me into his image for what was coming because I had to develop a shield of faith, faith imperviousness to the things that were going to be coming against me. And I was just consumed with how I felt in the moment and the injustice in certain cases. And it was very hard to release that, even though I knew the word. I mean, I knew the word and I would say, yes, Lord, vengeance is yours. It's not mine. You know, you deal with them. And But there still was a holding on, and I did not believe I was holding on. And the Lord finally said, when you are emotionally carrying this baggage around, it's because you're carrying it. It's in you. It's it's, You are holding it. You can't carry something you're not holding. And he said, let that thing go. The only way you're going to know if it's really gone is that when that person or situation comes up again, you have a completely unemotional, in terms of trauma, reaction to it, where you you look at it and you see my purposes for you in that moment rather than the enemy's purposes in for you in that moment through those people. 
And it's one or the other. You've got to decide. And that hurt was, it took so long. And I kept thinking, I, I, it's like I wanted to externally just fix it. And that's not how you do it. It's, it's bowing lower and lower to the purposes of God. Joseph had to continually surrender to the process. He had to believe in his lowest moments when they were carrying him from his cell to be laid on the iron bars and clip his foot into the the end of the bars to to beat the bottoms of his feet with with rods. That is a tremendous torture effect because of the nerve endings in your feet. If you've ever, ever, ever had something strike the bottom of your feet, it is it is incredible. One single strike, it just sends, shoots pain, you can't even imagine, through your body. And to have him beaten over and over again. Who was God to him in those moments? The kind of faith that says, God is good. You are good. This may be happening to me, but you are good. Easy to talk about. But when we can't release the pain we've already been through, how, how, what would it take? For us to shrink back and not hold fast the profession of our faith if we enter into new times of testing. It may not be physical testing like that. Maybe it'll be excruciating um, uh, lies about you or, or rejection or, um, you know, trouble circumstantially uh, that will come against you. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But, but is God good in every instance? Is he a good, good father no matter what? Is he always good in this world? He said you'll have tribulation, and we kind of gloss over that like it's just some nice little word, but be of good cheer. Joseph had to cling to the fact that, God, you gave me those dreams. Whatever I'm going through now, I am choosing to be fortified in my belief that that is where you're taking me. I may be in the valley of the shadow of death, right now but until i'm dead i will fear no evil for thou art with me your rod and your staff they comfort me even though the enemy's rod may be torturing me he had to have that kind of resolve and that kind of faith and everybody's testing to get to that place is unique to them we go through different places of heaviness, of, of, of darkness, of testing. But God is with us. And to get to the place, oh, this is the, I tell you, these verses I just read where he was able to look at his brothers who he left them in God's hands. God was going to deal with them. And they were broken and remorseful. And, and I know for some of us, when, when bitterness is taking hold, it's like, okay, that's not enough for me. They need to pay more. Nobody will ever be able to pay enough when you've got bitterness on you. No matter what happens to them, it'll never be enough because it's not about that. It's always, always about where you are with God himself. God will deal with everyone else who came against you. But what is the, the most famous verse that Joseph, the story of Joseph, known for? What God meant for evil, or Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That was, the, that was the crux of what Joseph came out in maturity through all of his testing. Whatever the enemy sent my way, God used it to cause a greater defeat. Did you know that whatever difficulties you're going through now, whatever even, even just challenge of, of the weariness to just stand firm each day and hold fast to your most holy faith, whatever you're going through, is being used 
for greater victory over the enemy than you would have had with no testing at all. See, that's what the more than conqueror means. We conquer because we're not defeated by it. But now, because we were hit, because the enemy came against us, we now are stronger because of that. So we conquer in the now, and we are more than conquerors because we now are so much more fortified than we would have been without testing. So look out, enemy, because what I went through, trusting God, I now trust him more than anything else in the entire universe. I know who my God is because I went through that. I went through that, and he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful to do what he promised. Joseph lived out his dream, the fulfillment of his dream. And what he had to go through on the path that the enemy was trying to constantly steal, kill, and destroy along the path. Moment by moment in these, those attacks, Joseph had a choice. Yes or no. Yes to you, God, or no. Can't deal with it. Can't deal with it. I, I, I was believing you. I was believing you. I was willing to, you know, let the thing go with my brothers. But you know what? I cannot take another beating here in this prison. He just kept saying yes. He knew that what God had spoken over him was greater than anything else. I just love, I'm so inspired by that. There is a faith that God wants to build in us. And by the way, he is, he is just beginning with his remnant in the times that we're in. But we know these verses in, it, that have to do with waiting. Hebrews six fifteen. And so after Abraham had patiently endured... He obtained the promise. There, there are so many great stories of times of testing that were endured where you get to see the fulfillment of the promise. See, when you're in the middle, you, you, it's only your faith that says, God, you, you're, you, you're writing my story. You know the end of my story. I just don't know the end of my story. It's great to look at a story in the Bible. And, and sadly, when you don't let the Holy Spirit guide you when you read the word, you, you're not able to have him say, stop, let me put you right in the middle of this story so that you can relate to the story from where you actually are in your life. Imagine right here, this point in the story, you've just been told that even though you've not, you're, you're well into old age, that you're going to have another child, that God is actually going to fulfill a promise that was so far dead and gone in your life and now he's breathing life on something that you, you couldn't have imagined. And that's the God we, we have, by the way. You talk about breathing and speaking over the dead bones. He will take something that's been near and dear to your heart that you've decided to not even let yourself think about anymore because you just thought, Lord, I guess it's over for me. I guess this just is kind of over for me. Our dreams, our hopes, our desires, the desires especially that God has put in our hearts are never too far gone. If you wake up this morning, anything is possible. All things are possible for those who believe. It does not matter. And it's really important because we, we have a large range of ages in ignition. The youth have to believe it's possible from not having lived enough life. The older have to believe it's possible because they've already lived life. And have they missed anything? Is it possible that if they did miss something that it's not over? The faith is different, but it's the same. It's still believing the God of the impossible and that your calling can be just beginning 
no matter what. That's exciting. That's a that's something that, again, the enemy doesn't want. He is always, he is not just, there is a blood sacrifice that's given to the enemy through the abortion of our babies, which is, they're crying out. Their voices are crying out. But every single thing about the enemy is abortion. He wants to abort everything, everything that's ever been spoken over you, everything that you've ever had within you, that you've had a, a notion or a desire that God wants from you. He wants to immediately abort that. He wants to take that seed and steal it. He wants to plant weeds along that seed to choke it out. He's always there to try to stop it. And it's only in saying yes to the Lord and being willing to wait on the Lord. The famous verses that I love so much, Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint. This is humanly speaking. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary because we're not supposed to be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He will give power to the weak in the time of waiting. And that is so awesome. That is so exciting. And there is, there is a faith that's important, but enduring faith builds the character that will put you in the position of your destiny that you were made to be, a, a position in your destiny that will allow you to absolutely blossom, especially now. God has called everyone, certainly in ignition, to a position of leadership in the world somewhere. And the remnant has to believe that, that we are called, we are, we are an army rising up that is called to take positions of influence by just speaking the truth and stepping. Where we go, God will place us. Doors will open before us. And to have this strength and to mount up with wings on eagles, there's nothing like being willing to wait on the Lord when we feel like we're just, nothing's happening. We've talked a lot about waiting. There's nothing more frustrating, nothing that will bring out whether you have patience or not, than having to wait. I'm amazed at people that when they go to a restaurant and there's a two-hour wait, that they'll just put their name in. Like, no. I, I, I just, the thought of a two-hour wait for a meal, I'm not even sure anything is that good. I, I just, I struggle with waiting. It's like, okay, two hours, no. I, I, you know, like, I'm going to go someplace else. And yet I'm thinking, okay, the person that was at the, the receiving end of the, what is the wait time? Well, it's about, you know, Two hours, about you know, 120 minutes. They'll, they'll word it differently to make it less be, you know, be less. Um, 90 minutes or more, whatever. And the person that puts their name in, they must have some sort of value that they place on being able to just stand around and, and spend that portion of their evening in just a place of waiting. There's some sort of value there that it's worth it. And yet believers, man, the greatest value of all time that exists anywhere ever is on what God wants to do. And yet we just kind of, oh, it's too hard. Or, well, yeah, but there's this. Yeah, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting, oh, Lord, I'm setting you before me. Oh, this opportunity came? Okay. You know, not placing it before the Lord, not seeking him. Is this an open door or is this a distraction? What do you want, Lord? Because it's just not worth it. There are times, too, when he'll say, wait on me to know who I am. 
Don't just seek me and believe that you're seeking me when I know you're seeking me for the answers. I'll give you answers. But the answers I'll give you, you can't even grasp if you don't know me. You've got to know me. So seek me to know me, the Lord says. Then the answers I give will make sense to you. You'll be able to receive it because you'll learn of me. You will learn of my character. So this waiting isn't just a strategy to just, okay, well, yeah, he's a little slow sometimes when I ask him about this stuff. So, you know, so let's just get ready to wait. And, you know, it's about getting to know him, soaking in him. Do you know he is always speaking? He just may not be talking about the subject that we're bringing to him. He's always releasing himself to us. In some way, shape, or form, he is always, he said he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's always speaking into us. Sometimes he's just speaking about creation. Sometimes I'll look at the stars at night when I take Charlie out, and cold or warm night, the, the, the sky will be so crystal clear, and I'll just see the brightness of the stars. And, and when I look at it through the lens of just being with Jesus, he's speaking about his creation. He's saying, do you know, yeah, I, when I made that one, that one was really bright, and what do you think of that? You know, how amazing. You know, do you know how many of these there are? And I'll just be like, I don't know anything about any of this, but you are an awesome God. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm in awe. Like I just, he's speaking. He's speaking about things he wants me to know about him. When we go after him for just the answers, what we don't know is that God always speaks with such depth. An answer he gives us is part of the, the fullness of his destiny for us. And so receiving his answers have to be at a time when we will be able to understand what he means. Because if we try to extract an answer too soon, we will lean, the temptation will be to lean on our own interpretation or understanding of it, and we'll be derailed. And boy, does the enemy love that. This is what he means. Oh, yeah, this is good. You know, God's all over this. And it might be a good thing. And all of a sudden, we're, we're derailed on a pathway into goodness not godness. And there's nothing that can be more deceptive than good works because it seems good. You know, if you, if you get into prostitution, you probably know you're not on the right path. Like, you know, it's not going to be that obvious. If you start getting into drugs, if you start taking on something evil, you, you probably know. No, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. Jesus himself was tempted by the twisting of his own word, the word of God. Satan will always twist things, and the only way to be discerning is to be in total sync and in tune with the Lord. So the last part of this verse is the we will reap, and this one really landed heavy on me. So I'm going to go back to Galatians 6, and I want to read the couple of verses before that. Verse 7 in the Amplified says, Do not be deceived and deluded of Galatians 6. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or his precepts being set aside. He, the person, inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. Whew, those are heavy, heavy verses. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not be mocked. He is holy. He knows exactly what is going on. 
He will hold everything accountable. And if you don't think that what you've sown will be reaped in your life, you are the one deluded. God's not going to be my, you can't, you can't pull one over on God. God's saying, you, you can't, you can't sow this and expect something different. So what does it say about sowing and reaping? If we faint not in verse 10, or excuse me, verse eight, then before that, before nine, for he who sows to his own flesh, lower nature, just, I just want, I just want it. This is just kind of what I desire. I mean, this is just what I want. I know it's a good thing. And so I want it. He sows to his own flesh, the lower nature. He's not always overtly bad. That's why it's deceptive. Sensuality from, from the desires of our senses. Okay. It's not always sexual can be, but it's, it's just the desires of our flesh. He who sows that will from that flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. He is not mincing words here. That is what is going to be reaped. He's saying there is not another thing that's going to come out. You sow this, this is what comes out. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be mocked. That is the way I set it up, he's saying. But he who sows to the spirit will from that spirit reap life eternal. So we're in an interesting time where things are being made known. There is a har- you know, this is the end time harvest, right? Well, we think of the end time harvest as this billion soul salvation. There will be a tremendous harvest. But do you know what part of the harvest is? We are beginning to see the harvest of what has been sown in hearts. Things are being made manifest. The line in the sand that we've been talking about for quite some time. What people have chosen is beginning to be unearthed and seen in their choices. There is no more putting on a a front of Christianity and kind of going through the motions and duping everybody. Even beyond a person's desire to want to reveal it, it is being revealed. You guys, have you seen this? It's happening in the news. It's happening with people. People are vomiting up their truth and the condition of their heart in the words that they say. And some of them didn't even, it's like, oops, that just came out. Oh, yeah, I guess I really do want to kind of, you know, kill everybody on the planet because there's just too many people. And I guess I do want a globalist, you know, mentality. And I I really do want to destroy this nation. Oops, did I just say that out loud? There's crazy things happening that have they've been trying to hide, but it's now being brought forth because we're in a time of harvest. You're, you're going to see the reaping of what has been sowed. Some of it's going to be glorious. A lot of it's going to be ugly. And we're seeing that ugliness. There is a scripture that um, I, I wanted to give you in, in Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Um, this is in the ESV. So, Cole, take us to the ESV because I'm going to read that from that one. Um, Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Nothing, this is Jesus talking here, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Wherefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. It is all coming out. You've got deviant evil behaviors you think 
the, the sexual nature of, of the things going on in your life. And these are people, there are prophecies that are coming out every day of people we're going to find out that were well-known actors or well-known people that were esteemed for their artistic work who will be found out to be totally leaders of pedophile rings, of sex trafficking rings. I mean, dark stuff that God is saying no more. It will no more be hidden. It's going to be exposed because what you have sown is now time to show the reaping of what your heart has sown. And so I'm telling you, there, there is no plan. There's no more playing. There's no more, there's no more hidden Christianity. The line in the sand is cutting away at any delusion of duplicitous thinking. It's just not there. It's choose you this day whom you will serve. It's just not there. It's choose. That's it. Make the choice and is going to manifest because sometimes people actually delude themselves into thinking they've chosen God. God, I want you, but I also want this. And God is saying, you can't serve God a mammon. It's me. It's me. Do you trust me to be the source of all things? Do you know that the very desires that are righteous within you that I've put in you are from me? See, James talks about the fact that we have not because we ask not and, and we were, it's because we're asking amiss that it, we might heap it upon our flesh. And so even sometimes people who are praying for certain things, like the people that are praying, Lord, please take everything back to the way it used to be. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not a prayer from my heart. The way it used to be is the whole problem. <laughs> I'm tearing it up. I'm, I'm taking what's in the hearts, what's been fake and false and faulty, and I'm exposing it. So you're not praying my heart when you're praying for things to go back to the way they used to be. Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not see it? He, it will surely spring forth because it's time. The, the harvest is it's time. And one other scripture that I want to show you that is very, very um, ominous and real is in Hebrews 12. And I'll do this also in the Amplified. Um, Hebrews 12, 25 through 27 is um, very, very much uh, what is happening now. And it says here, um, so see to it that you do not reject him, verse 25, or, or refuse to listen and heed. This goes so much with Galatians 6, um, 7 and 8, or 7 through 9. Refuse, or refuse to listen and to heed him who is speaking to you now. For if they, the Israelites, did not escape when they have refused to listen and heed him who warned and divinely instructed them here on earth, revealing with heavenly warnings his will, how much less shall we escape if we reject and turn our backs on him who cautions and admonishes us from heaven? Then at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has given a promise. And yet once more, I will shake and make tremble not only the earth, but also the starry heavens. There is a time of shaking that we don't have to be afraid of. There is a shaking that, that, that Hebrews says is shaking everything that can be shaken so that what is not able to be shaken will stand. That is what we're entering into. And so the Lord just wants us, and I'm going to step out of view for a moment from the, from the camera. The Lord wants us to be able to handle this shaking. So I, I wanted to show you this. I received this gift here. Um, 
several years ago, I received this contraption that is a, um, thank you, that is an exercise piece of equipment. Have you ever seen this? You've ever seen what this is? This is one of those things that's kind of like a, a stabilizer, and you can do a twist on it, and you can do a move on it. You stand on it, right? And it, it's, um, it's something that strengthens your muscles because you are not stable, right? Well, I'm going to show you. Yes, I have high heels on, and only you in person here will be able to see this because the camera will not be lowered. So this is a place of movement where we go back and forth and back and forth, and we're moving. And every part of this particular unstable place, which is why it's an exercise piece of equipment, is a place of having to tense all my muscles, right? It's like my legs are my, my legs are engaged, my arms are engaged because my arms have to move for a sense of balance, my core is engaged, every part of me is engaged, whether I'm twisting or whether I'm going up and down and all around. This represents where we are in life right now. It's like, Lord, Lord, you know, some of us, some of you maybe look at me going, okay, what in the world? I am not getting on that thing. That's why I didn't call anybody forward to do it. I thought I'm going to just do it myself because people might go, yeah, I don't know that I want to be in that object lesson. But I was just like, Lord. So the Lord literally gave me this example. And I thought, but Lord, you know I wear high heels. He said, get on it with high heels. He'll hold me. Whatever shoes he's fitted you to walk in, he will equip you no matter how unstable the ground underneath you. So as you're moving... What he's building in you is a stability. Now, after a while, you know, when you first feel the shaking, you're like, okay, Lord, I, I got this. I got this. I got this. It takes all my focus. It takes all my energy, all my effort. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm, I get it. Then after a while, the weariness sets in. And you're like, okay, Lord, um, can I get off now? Can, can you stop it? Can you stop the shaking? Can you just flatten my ground so that it feels a little more solid under my feet? Like, I don't even know what's happening here. And the Lord's like, I got you. I got you. It's shaky, but you haven't fallen. You just don't really like it right now. You're feeling a little bit of the burn. You're feeling a little bit of the, the tingling sensation. But then there's a point where you stand firm, you stand solid, and however unstable the ground, I shall not be moved because I stand on the rock that is Jesus. And the instability of the ground has no impact on the ability for me to stand tall, stand strong, and even lock my knees which is a really bad place to be if you're off balance. You don't want to lock your knees, right, because you've got to re- react. This is such a representation of the times in which we're going in. They're not starting soon. They are here. And this ground is shaking. But every time we're moving with this, we're leaning on the rock that is God. He is building an endurance in us. The more it shakes, the more the muscles are engaged, the more the ability to strength and build within me what will help me to step into the next chapter where I'm stepping. Don't be afraid, as Greg preached just a few weeks ago. Don't be afraid. Be prepared. Be prepared. Yes, the ground is unstable. Behold, I do a new thing. We are entering into a gridless time because what God is about to do with his people has not been seen before. That is an amazing thought. He's taking us into times of the readying of his bride that are just 
completely new. It is exciting. And I love hearing remnant spirit-filled believers say that it's exciting rather than hear believers posting on Facebook, please pray for me, my life is falling apart. Please pray for me. I don't, I'm losing my mind, you know, and this is happening and this is happening. And I just, I can't take another day. And there are these memes of, of, you know, all hope is gone. And, and I'm just like, oh God, especially when I know some of them as believers, I'm like, God, you are their God. You are their God. You are the rock that they stand in. But, but what did we say when we taught on the rock or sand? The rock will either be a stumbling block that you'll fall over, or it'll be something that you'll step up upon and be standing firm. It'll either get in your way because you're not on it and you'll fall, or it will be something that you will stand upon. So today, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due time, the time that is coming, it will come. It will surely come. It will surely come. And we're not to be, and that was, by the way, in the story of Joseph. And when the time um, the time came, the Lord built him into exactly what he had planned. It will come, and you will reap whatever you've sown. So the door that's closing on this unique time before Major seismic shifts come. Ask the Lord, say, get out anything that is going to cause me to fall off this shaking ground platform that I'm on and stumble. Because it is the stability is found in the secret place. He that abideth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide, dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Go through that whole chapter in whatever your favorite translation is. Look at all the things he protects you from. Those are the things that are coming. And I'm going to close with one other quick scripture that actually I had not planned on doing, but it was brought up in the gifts meeting yesterday, and I just... Um, I couldn't get it off my mind. Um, And so I wanted to look at Revelation chapter 3. These are in the letter to the churches. And this is the letter to Philadelphia. And um, Shannon had mentioned it in in a different context of just faith building. But I wanted to... um, Right here... um, Oh, actually, yeah. What what is the what was the verse that you started at? Because it's two, isn't it? It's not three. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. Okay. Um, let's start in verse seven of cha- of Revelation three. And I'm again, I'm in the Amplified. And to the angel, the messenger of the assembly, the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one shall open. I know your record of works and what you are doing. See, I have set a door. See, I have set before you a door wide open, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power. That was the part we were mentioning in the gifts meeting, that we are operating in time of such a, such a time of faith stretching without the manifest power of God. 
But it says, and yet you have kept my word and guarded my message and have not renounced or denied my name. Those are sowing. That's the sowing. It's like he's saying, look, I know you haven't been able to receive um, the manifest power flowing through you in, in many cases, even though there has been it in certain measure different pockets. But you've kept my word. No matter what you've not seen, you've decided to keep my word. But this is the key thing. You've not, you've kept my, my word. You've not renounced or denied my name. And so in verse 9, it says, take note. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and learn and acknowledge that I have loved you. There is an authority shift coming for us that will cause those of of Satan to, to literally honor the bride as it rises. But this is what's interesting. This was the part that stood out to me the most. Verse 10, because you have guarded and kept my word of patient endurance and held fast the lesson of my patience with the expectant endurance that I give you, I also will keep you safe Hear this. I will keep you safe from the hour of trial, testing, which is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. We're entering into some challenging times. You don't have to be a prophet to see that. It is upon us, the global unrest, um, things that are impacting our nation daily. Um, hourly, depending on how into the market you are and and looking at those things that are impacted moment by moment with global um, events. The shaking is already upon us. It impacts some more than others. It will ultimately impact us in in such an amazing way. Even even the things that are happening we know in Ukraine are, are impacting many people emotionally. But the Lord is saying, Because you've kept my word, when you are willing to sow into me, you will reap a confidence and you will reap the reward of my protection as promised in Psalm 91 from the trial that is coming to the whole world. And so we are in a foreshadowing. I'm not saying we're entering into the tribulation. That's been explained multiple times in ignition. But we are entering into an end times trial of the refining and purifying and readying of the bride of jesus christ and so what have you been sowing into don't be weary there will come a time in due time in due time we will reap we will reap if we faint not and so hold fast to that hold fast Hold strong on that unstable ground. Let God, don't, don't jump off because you, you can't handle the, the pressure in your muscles. It might hurt a little bit, but it will build and it will develop in you a strength and a rise, a sure and solid foundation that is Jesus alone. And uh, we're about to head into an exciting time in our destiny as the bride. So let's pray. Father God, I praise you. God, I thank you, Lord, that even though... The times in which we live and the experiences that we're having may seem sometimes overwhelmingly perilous. God, you are so mighty. You are so holy and you are building in us. Oh, God, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, God. For our forever with you, but also for our time here on earth to manifest the kingdom of God. 
as holy vessels through which you, as you say at the end of Ephesians 2, can be a dwelling place of your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, to, to have something fall upon us greater than Pentecost of your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, we long for it, not just for the thrill of, of the event, but, oh, God, to know you more. You are so precious and so good and so close You are closer than our very breath, closer than our skin, God. I praise you. I praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for offering us this relationship that changes everything in these perilous times. It it allows us to just, we're standing firm on this unstable ground because you are holding us. It isn't a human strength that we develop it's, it's a steadiness of your arms around us because we have invited you in to envelop us in relationship. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are so worthy and so faithful. God, help us to choose. Help us to sow, God. Weariness is not of you. Strengthen us. We are. You will supply all of our needs, and we are able to do everything that you call us to do in the strength because of Jesus. I just pray that and I speak that over everyone today listening, that in the mighty name of Jesus, we would continue to give you our yes to defeat the enemy, to walk as overcomers. If there's nothing to overcome, we don't get that title. The battle will rage, but we are overcomers in the battle. That's why you gave us the armor. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. And I just commit all of this word in the mighty name of Jesus to you. Amen.